Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Niner, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Well, I echo uh, what Jason said. It is a privilege to be here with all of you and um, so thankful to spend the weekend here you may not believe this, but um, coming here from where I grew up is like visiting a big town. Uh, I grew up in a town in Ohio of about 700 people in southern Ohio. So we used to go to the neighboring towns for festivals like yesterday, uh, which was a great joy. And uh, we do count it a privilege to join you this morning. As Jason alluded, our churches collectively uh, have been praying for you for quite some time. As a matter of fact, all four summit congregations this morning Uh, are actually praying for all of you here at Missio Church in Mount Air, uh, Iowa, which is uh, our privilege to do so. And our hope is that we can continue to partner with you. Actually, as we think of you, uh, we often think of Paul's words to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 uh, through 5. The Apostle Paul writes this, and I just want to read it over you because it's such an encouragement to be here with you. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, The fact of the matter is at Summit Church, at Fellowship Greenville, at the Upstate Church Collective and in SEPNA, our desire is to continue to say to you, thank you. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Whatever God's gonna do here in this county and in this region, he desires to do through all of you, through his people. And uh, it's a great joy to know that there are people who are living intentionally in this region. And our hope and prayer is that God would richly bless you as you seek to continue to live for his sake uh, in this town, in this county, and in the counties that are all around here. And uh, we trust that he will. We're going to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you turn there, I just want us to think a little bit about where Peter's going to take us this morning. Essentially, what Peter's going to say to us is he's going to say, it really does matter how, who you are and how you live your life. It really does make a difference. And he's going to show that as he writes a letter to a lot of people who are facing difficult circumstances. The fact of the matter is, Peter is writing Christians who are facing suffering and persecution and oppression for their faith in Christ and their obedience to Him. And they are constantly swimming upstream in the, in the culture that they live in. Everything they live for is almost in opposition to everything the world around them is living for. I don't know if that sounds familiar or if you could relate to that at all. But there is a part of your life in Christ Jesus that is always moving toward him and for the Father's glory that lives constantly in some kind of press against the world around us, which has been corrupted by sin. We all know that well. We've all experienced and tasted that reality. And apart from the grace of God, we would give ourselves to it fully. And so we know this kind of context that is in the backdrop of Peter's letter. And I think what Peter's going to say in kind of a beautiful fashion is that really the way that our lives are formed in that context was always intended by God to be the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the midst of the people of God for the sake of the world God loves. Or that's a wordy way to say 
how you and I live our lives in light of who we are actually matters. Wherever God's put us. And at the beginning of chapter 2, there's a little... If I could summarize it for you, at the beginning of chapter 2, the summary would simply be this, that the Spirit of God is always forming us through the enduring Word of God. The Spirit of God always wants to use the Word of God to continue to change and shape us. And so there's a lot in 1 Peter chapter 2 in the first eight verses. Uh, we're going to focus on verses 9 through 12. But in those first eight verses, Peter says to all the, the Christians whom he's writing, listen, Christ is not just the milk you desire to survive. He is actually intended to be the precious and chosen cornerstone that you come to build your entire life upon, both individually and collectively. One of the defining marks of a child of, of God is this increasing appetite for the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that he becomes more, that he becomes greater, that he becomes sweeter and all the more satisfying the more I spend time with him and the more I understand and look at the beauty of who he is. And I think one of Peter's final kind of exhortations that comes out of this is that it's not just meant for us. It's not just meant for you individually, and it's not just meant for us in this room to enjoy Christ. God intended all along that he was going to proclaim something about who he is and about his glory that would extend way beyond us. Through us, yes, but well beyond us, and not just for us alone. So I want to read with you 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want us to just focus in there on in verses 9 through 12. We'll just kind of zone in for a second to where Peter is in this letter. And I just want you to hear the descriptions that Peter's going to give. Who you are, how you ought to live, and why it matters. This is what he says in chapter 2, starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, i.e., this is not your home, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There is so much here to, to celebrate and to cling to and to be reminded of, but listen to the ways in which Peter wants to remind you and me and those whom he is writing of who we are if we are in Christ Jesus by faith. Listen to the descriptions, uh, descriptions that he uses. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a unified, recreated race of people with an uncommon humility because God chose you. You did nothing to earn his love or his affection being set upon you. In a sense, God says, all the ways you might try to be identified or you might try to say, this is who I am, I want you to know I made you a people that I chose that would be one kind of people set apart for me. Secondly, he says, not only are you a chosen race, a recreated kind of people with an uncommon kind of humility, you are also a royal priesthood. This actually echoes right after the Exodus story in Exodus chapter 19. 
God tells Moses, I'm going to build for myself a kingdom of priests, people who would mediate my presence and glory and, and the beauty of my promises throughout the world. I'm going to call them to myself, and they're going to be like priests for me. They are going to show and share with the world the beauty of who I am and what I'm doing. And now you fast forward and Peter says to all of these people whom he's writing, and it echoes to you and I, you are a royal priesthood, a people in service to a king for the sake of others and for his glory. He goes on, he says, not only are you a chosen race or a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people set apart and distinct from all others while you live among them. You're a people whom God has set apart for himself, and even while you live in this world, I think Peter's kind of, encouragement that comes along with this, even this descriptive word that, that describes who we are is this call that says, you're living in the world. You're living among the people, but you are set apart distinctly different because of who God is and what he's doing in you. And then lastly, you're a people for his own possession. And I think here, just the reminder of some things that Peter's already said, that you and I do not belong to ourselves. We were ransomed. We were actually bought with a price to be God's own people in his possession. Now, I actually think what Peter's doing here in verse 9 is actually kind of a culmination of all the descriptors that he's used in chapter 1 to tell us about who God is, what God has done, and who we are because of that. So when you come out of chapter 1, can I just read these things over to you because we probably don't have time to go through them all? I just read all of the things that I think are culminated in those four ways in which Peter just described us that are built on chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. So if you want encouragement later today, go open 1 Peter chapter 1 and focus on verses 3 through 12. And here's what you're going to hear. God caused us to be born again to a living hope. God did. God did the work. God is doing the work. He has given us an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. He's guarding us in his power. He's leading us to inexpressible joy. He's working through his Holy Spirit for our continued maturity and sanctification. He's the one strengthening and sustaining us and everything around us in this world. And he's doing all of it through the power of his abiding word. And because that is true, Peter says, guess what, church? those of you who are in Christ Jesus. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people set apart for God's own possession. That's who you are. And if you forget that, it messes up everything about what he says after that. If you forget who you are, then you start to think that how you live actually raises you up in front of God for greater blessing or more blessing. So if I, maybe if I obey more, God will love me more. Maybe if I do this more for God, God will bless me more. And the reality is Peter's pushing against that and basically says to you, listen, God's love for you is eternal and constant and never changing. You growing up in that love and learning that love and understanding that love that actually increases your joy and your ability to live the way that God wants. But it's not the other way around. You don't gain it more and more. It's there for you to enjoy and grow up in so that you can go live in the reality of it more and more. Which leads to where he says, this has to change how you and I live, right? There is a beauty that comes from knowing who you are. I know who I am. I know the family I'm attached to. My 
my family has a running joke because my dad was traveling through Tennessee and he stopped at a Hampton Inn and he found a guy at the Hampton Inn that had the same last name as us, uh, which is ironic, the last name Eastip with two P's and, uh, and we, we hadn't met too many, to be honest with you. Um, and so he's traveling and he stops in Johnson City, Tennessee at a Hampton Inn and the guy behind the uh, clerk says, hey, same last name as me, interesting story, I did one of those family tree things and did you know that we are Spanish royalty? That's what he says to my dad. Now, my dad is buying this hook, line, and sinker. Uh, I, obviously, I look like I'm Spanish. Um, and we're from southern rural Ohio. So there, there's some gaps here that the rest of us are just laughing at. And so my dad tells us this story and, and all the ways in which we're somehow related to King Ferdinand of Spain or something like that. And, um, and me and my brother and sister, we're at one time when the family's together, we're just giving it to him. Like, just that. I, I think somewhere... Some lines got crossed. Um, and so no, no joke, about four months later, there's a lady who comes into my church in Greenville, South Carolina as a first-time guest, and she sits down, and I walk up to her, and I introduce myself, and I say, hey, my name's Kyle Eastep, one of the pastors and elders here. And she said, Eastep, is that Eastep? I said, yep. She goes, you'll never believe this. I know it's my first time here, but I was visiting with friends, and, and they actually have a cousin whose last name is Eastep, and they just did this... Uh, do you know you're Spanish royalty? Like you're related to a king in Spain? That's what she says to me. So I feel like royalty, all right? But even if that is completely untrue, there is a sense in which when you start to discover the roots and the heritage of your family, and sometimes it's good and sometimes there's some spaces in the family line that you're like, ugh, you know? But at the end of the day, knowing who you are makes a world of difference. Knowing that you're loved and cared for and given a new identity that no one can ever steal or take away from you with a promised inheritance that this world will never, ever destroy, that will never spoil or fade, that is guarded in heaven for you and kept through the promise of the Holy Spirit, that is powerful. So Peter says, if that's true, then here's how you ought to live. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And, and conceptually, we know this people far from God, people who don't know who God is, people who live in opposition to God, people outside of the family of God. He says, keep your conduct among them honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, I love this line, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Like, even if they want to accuse you wrongly of being evildoers, even if they want to hate you, they'll have a hard time remembering why. Because of how you live. So even if you live with such beautiful and winsome and loving and caring intentionality all throughout Mount Air and all throughout all of the counties God's calling you to love and to serve and to pray for in this region, and people hate you for it, which the scriptures tell us could probably likely happen when they're in their own conscience they would wrestle to understand why they hate you because you live in such a way that it's appealing to something about who God is you're a people with divine distinction and that's what God desired to set people apart who would bear his nature and his character in the way in which they lived 
their lives, being helped from the Holy Spirit to abstain from the passions of the flesh, to keep conduct honorable among those who are separated from God, to live a life of divine distinction where you are overwhelmed with Christ's sufficiency, your soul is being purified, sins are forgiven, old desires which once hindered the way in which you loved one another in the world around you are being placed with new ones. You're reborn by the living and abiding word of God, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and transforming you from the inside out, conforming you to the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. That stands out. And the invitation from Peter is that our intimacy with God, where that kind of transformation takes place, is actually an active participation with what he's doing through his spirit and his word. It's not passive. We don't just sit back and receive it. He's invited you and I to open up the word of God, to set our hearts before it, to read it and to let it read over us, to let the spirit change us from the inside out and to live with such distinction that we're the most honest people they can find. Are we broken? Yeah, we're broken. Do we have to confess sin? Yeah, we have to confess sin. Do we have to ask for forgiveness? Yeah, we have to ask for forgiveness. Do we still wage war against the flesh and its desires? Yeah, so some days we do that really well by God's grace and help, and some days we kind of stiff-arm God's grace and help and choose what we want, and we have to come back and acknowledge that. And all of that is the beauty of the active participation of saying, Spirit, would you make me exactly who you intended me to be in Christ Jesus? And would you let me be distinct as I do that in front of all the people and places where you have sovereignly put me. Like it, people around this area should find that it's not a surprise that you have no problem admitting you have gaps and flaws and weaknesses because you're so saturated in grace and mercy and you're so confident of who you are in Christ Jesus that it's no big deal to tell them, hey, I messed up. I got a gap. I, I shouldn't have responded that way. I've, those things are natural because the Spirit's constantly bringing to mind the ways in which we are going to continue to be brought up and matured in the beauty of God's love and His grace and His mercy, which we swim in every day. And that's why I think it matters, because God was intending to bear fruit in us as we love Him and love others that would say something to the world about who he is. See, at the day of judgment or in the day in which they stand before God, there would be a sense in which some of them would actually give themselves to the mercy and grace of God by faith. They would actually be transformed themselves in faith because they have observed the way in which you decided to live by God's grace and strength where he had put you. Why does it matter? Look at the second half. Let's go backwards for just a moment. Look at the second half of verse 9. If we remember who we are and we think about how we ought to live, I think Peter's great encouragement here is this reminder of why it's important. Why your life, wherever it is here in Mount Air and the surrounding area, why it has eternal beauty and power in Christ. The second half of verse 9, the reason that we are these things, the reason that he calls us a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, and a people of God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why. Why does it matter that you remember who you are and why does it matter that you remember how you ought to live? Because God intended from, as Jason alluded, before the foundation of the world, that he was going to tell the world the beauty and the power and the magnificence of who he is and what he's doing in the story of salvation and redemption through you. Some of the people in this town will never don the doors of this building until they see the gospel 
transforming and changing and being proclaimed in your life. And when they do, it's a living, tangible, accessible proclamation of the good news. Because now they can see it and touch it and hear it and understand it. They have access to it. And that's what God desired. Peter explicitly says that God's chosen us for the purpose of demonstrating and telling the world of his excellencies. About how wonderful it is to be brought from darkness to light, from death to life, from the bondage of sin, where all I can do is choose what I want, to the freedom of life that says, I want what God wants, and I'm learning that God's not leading there, me there because he's some restrictive killjoy who wants to control my life. He's leading the, me there, according to John chapter 15 and the words of Jesus, for my joy. That's where he's trying to take me, to a place of great joy. And Peter said it in chapter 1, inexplicable or inexpressible joy. And if that's true, Peter says that the way you and I live this life is intended to be kind of a loving antagonism that presses against the opposition of this world to the things of God. But it does so in a way that they would actually see the way in which you and I steward our lives for God's glory. And in the end, they would surrender to Him. In the end, that would actually be compelling to them that God is actually who he says he is you know what that means it means that nothing that you and I do in this life in God's name is futile instead everything has eternal significance you can work on the farm or you can work in the office you can work at home or you can work at the school or you can do anything that God has called you to in the midst of the people God has, has called you to and God says this has eternal value because you do, in Christ. And God's writing a story and proclaiming a good news story through you. It's the reminder that the Spirit of God is at work through the Word of God within you and I to bring every area of life under the rule of God's transforming grace. So I want to give you just a few um, practical examples, places we actually live as we finish up. I think if what Peter's saying here is true out of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and if all of these things matter because we are intended to be a people who proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, I think it has to start redefining all the categories of everyday life. So here's a few. Um, most of you in this room and in this town have friends. There are people you know that you're connected to, some for a very long time, some for a short time, but you're building friendships, you have friendships, you're establishing new friendships. So when you have friendships, if these things are true and God grants us good friends, this changes the, the way in which we view friendships. Friendships are no longer to be used to get what we want, but rather to grow in grace and not live in isolation. They are ways in which we lovingly serve one another and learn that there is great joy had in giving our lives away for the benefit of those God's placed around us. That's friendship. That my life and your life is connected together actually so that we may grow up in Christ and then give our lives away for the benefit of others. What about work? Work is not the result of sin. If all these things are true, work's not the result of sin or a curse to be endured, but rather a means to show the world the creativity of the ultimate designer and to participate in building and revealing the extravagant ways in which he is designing a kingdom that will last for all of eternity. You're, you're with him. You're working alongside of him. 
You're working to show the world that he is still powerful and loving and creative. That he makes things new. Time is not primarily mine to be spent or wasted however I please, but to be managed and used for the glory of God and his purposes. Money's not my worth or value, but a grateful receptivity of God's generosity to me, and now a dignified way for me to bless others and extend his gospel into the world. My body and my health are not my own to be abused for my good pleasure, but they're bought with precious blood, sustained by God's kindness, and now they're supposed to be used for his purposes and his glory in this world. If I go to school still, and some of you are still in school, and that's not ending for a few of you anytime soon, so keep your heads up. But if you're in school, it's no longer a dreaded task to be merely attended and survived, but a mission field to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ to people who are far from God. And if you're in a marriage and God calls you to marry, it's not merely a friendship to maintain if it feels good or as long as it benefits you, but a covenant of gospel reenactment to be protected and purified through loving self-sacrifice the rest of your days until you both stand before Jesus without any flaws or gaps. And it'll be until then that you stand before him without any flaws or gaps. And if you have children, they're not merely a validation of your legacy or some contribution you're making to this world. They are image-bearing gifts of grace to be enjoyed, enjoyed and uh, nurtured and matured into his likeness and released into this world in both their successes and their failures to show people something about the radical grace of God in their life. And all of that, the list goes on and on and on and on. Why? Because all of this is by him, through him, and for him. Therefore, all the time you spend remembering who you are in Christ, how you ought to live, and why it all matters is not time wasted. Every week when you gather, you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you preach through books of the Bible, you see each other on Sunday, you pray with each other on Sunday, you pass each other on the streets of Mount Air, you are to be reminding one another, this is who we are, this is how we ought to live, and it matters because God wants us to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Think of this. As Jim and the others come, and we're, we're going to sing as we leave here this morning, I just want you to think, what would it look like if my heart just kept getting filled up with the excellencies of Jesus, right? If I'm supposed to proclaim these excellencies, then I want to learn them. I want to be satisfied with them. I want to think about them often. I think of the author of Hebrews. When I read through the book of Hebrews, I think it's like this constant lifting of my chin to see Jesus as true and better. Here is something I just want to leave us with as this compelling image of the excellency of Jesus Christ. It was an author named Michael Reeves. He wrote a book called Rejoicing in Christ. Listen to how he describes Jesus. And let this just kind of sing over your own soul about what it might be like to go and proclaim the excellencies of this one who gave himself for you and called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says this about Jesus Christ. Here was a man with towering charisma running over with life. Health and healing, loaves and fishes all abounded in his presence. So compelling did people find him that crowds thronged round him. Men, women, children, sick and mad, rich and poor, they found him so magnetic they just wanted to touch his clothes. Kinder than summer, he befriended the rejects and gave hope to the hopeless. The dirty and despised found that they mattered to him. His closest friends found that as the Son of Man came eating and drinking, being with him was like being with the bridegroom at a wedding. Yes, he was a man who felt a world of pain, yet abounded with joy. Generous and genial, firm and resolute, he was always surprising. 
He was loving, but not soppy. His insight unsettled people, and his kindness won them over. Indeed, he was a man of extraordinary and extraordinarily appealing contrast. You would not make him up. You would only make him one or the other. He was red-blooded and human, but not rough, pure, and never dull. Serious with sunbeams of wit, sharper than cut glass. He out-argued all comers, but never for the sake of the wind. He knew no failings in himself, but was transparently humble. He made the grandest of claims for himself without any arrogance. He ransacked the temple. He spoke of hellfire. He called Herod a fox and the Pharisees painted corpses. And yet never once do you doubt his love for you as you read his life. With a huge heart, he hated evil. He felt for those in need. He loved the Father and he loved people. And when you look at him, you have to say, here is a man truly alive, unwithered in any way, far more vital and vigorous, far more full and complete, far more human than any other, and yet fully God. How sweet it is to know him, how wonderful it is to be known by him, and what a privilege it is to proclaim his excellencies wherever he has placed us. Father God, we love you because you first loved us. And what a privilege to be reminded today of who we are because of your grace and your mercy. And to be reminded today of how we ought to live and to know that even if the world presses harder and harder against that, you have called us to a distinct kind of living. Confident, yes, but full of humility and grace because of who you have shown yourself to be in our own lives. And then believing that where I live where I work, where our kids go to school, the streets we walk, the stores we shop at, the people we interact with when we travel and when we're here. It's not by accident. It's because they need to see and understand the excellencies of Jesus Christ who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that they might someday glorify you, that they might one day understand you're exactly who you said you are. You've kept every promise you said you would keep. And there is none like you in all the earth. Help us to be a people who enjoy the privilege and the responsibility to proclaim that wherever we go. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.